away like a dream and not be found. He will be chased away like a vision of the night. The eye that saw him will see him no more, nor will his place any more behold him. His children will seek the favor of the poor, and his hands will give back his wealth. His bones are full of his youthful vigor, but it will lie down with him in the dust. Though evil is sweet in his mouth, though he hides it under his tongue, though he is loath to let it go and holds it in his mouth, yet his food is turned in his stomach. It is the venom of cobras within him. He swallows down riches and vomits them up again. God cast them out of his belly. He will suck the poison of cobras. The tongue of a viper will kill him. He will not look upon the rivers, the streams flowing with honey and curds. He will give back the fruit of his toil and will not swallow it down. From the profit of his trading, he will get no enjoyment. For he has crushed and abandoned the poor. He has seized a house that he did not build. Because he knew no contentment in his belly, he will not let anything in which he delights escape him. There was nothing left after he had eaten. Therefore, his prosperity will not endure. In the fullness of his sufficiency, he will be in distress. The hand of everyone in misery will come against him. To fill his belly to the full, God will send his burning anger against him and rain it upon him into his body. He will flee from an iron weapon. A bronze arrow will strike him through. It is drawn forth and comes out of his body. The glittering point comes out of his gallbladder. Terrors come upon him. Utter darkness is laid up for his treasures. A fire not fanned will devour him. What is left in his tent will be consumed. The heavens will reveal his iniquity, and the earth will rise up against him. The possessions of his house will be carried away, dragged off in the day of God's wrath. This is the wicked man's portion from God, the heritage decreed for him by God. Then Job answered and said, Keep listening to my words, and let this be your comfort. Bear with me, and I will speak, and after I have spoken, mock on. As for me, is my complaint against man? Why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be appalled and lay your hand over your mouth. When I remember I am dismayed and shudder seizes my flesh. Why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? Their offspring are established in their presence and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, and no rod of God is upon them. Their bull breeds without fail. Their cow calves and does not miscarry. They send out their little boys like a flock, and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and the lyre, and rejoice to the sound of the pipe. They spend their days in prosperity, and in peace they go down to Sheol. They say to God, depart from us. We do not de desire the knowledge of your ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we get if we pray to him? Behold, is not their prosperity in their hand? The counsel of the wicked is far from me. How often is it that the lamp of the wicked is put out? That their calamity comes upon them? That God distributes pain in his anger? That they are like straw before the wind and like chaff that the storm carries away? You say, 
God stores up their iniquity for their children. Let them pay it out to them that they may know it. Let their own eyes see their destruction and let them drink of the wrath of the Almighty. What do they care for their houses after them when the number of their, mile, the number of their months is cut off? Will any teach God knowledge, seeing that he judges those who are on high? One dies in his full vigor, being wholly at ease and secure, his pails full of milk and the marrow of his bones moist. Another dies in bitterness of soul, never having tasted of prosperity. They lie down alike in the dust and the worms cover them. Behold, I know your thoughts and your schemes to wrong me, for you say, where is the house of the prince? Where is the tent in which the wicked lived? Have you not asked those who traveled the roads? And, those, and do you not accept their testimony that the evil man is spared in the day of calamity, that he is rescued in the day of wrath? Who declares his way to his face? And who repays him for what he has done? When he is carried to the grave, watch is kept over his tomb. The clouds of the valley are sweet to him. All mankind follows after him, and those who go before him are innumerable. How then will you comfort me with empty nothings? There is nothing left of your answers but falsehood. May God help us today to examine his word and glean the wisdom that he has for us that we might live our lives in ways that are faithful and pleasing to him. I'm going to have a word of prayer. After the word of prayer, the preaching of God's word, and then following the message, special music. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? We thank you, Father, for your goodness to us today to allow us to worship even in this means, some present, and many others looking on through the internet, we thank you for your care over all of us. We pray that you will continue to watch over those um, who suffer in various ways, some directly from this virus that's going on, others indirectly because of the, uh, the, the tight noose that's put around us, Lord, and limited activity that we have. Some unable to go to work, some unable to be with loved ones who are suffering in hospitals and, and uh, some uh, are unable to go to school and do the things that they normally do. So we pray that you would give us um, patience, that you would give us uh, wisdom as how we are to act in these days, and most of all, that we would trust in you and live our lives pleasing to you no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. Bless your people here at Sweet Communion and pray, Lord, that your word will continue to go out, that your people will continue to give heed to it, that we would look forward to the regular assembling of ourselves together. And until then, Lord, we'll be faithful in whatever means that we have and that we can to serve you. So we pray now that you bless this service, the teaching and preaching of your word. You open our eyes so that we might understand your truth, that we might walk in wisdom that we might trust in you, we might put our trust in the Savior that you provided, the Lord Jesus Christ. In him we have life, in him we have all that we need, in him we have hope for eternity, and we thank you for that. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today we'd like to get back to our series in Job. And just to summarize this series, actually give you a brief outline in the book of Job. Very, at the very beginning, we saw the character and wealth of Job in chapters 1, verses 1 through 5. Then we saw Satan's attack and Job's response, the first round, verses 6 through 22 of chapter 1. We see Satan's second attack on Job and his response in chapters, chapter 2. And then chapter 3, we see Job's lament. Chapters 4 through 14 is round 1 of his three friends responding or speaking to Job and Job responding to them. Round 2 of those three friends speaking and Job's response is found in chapters 15 through 21. And then chapters 22 through 31, round 3 of his interaction with his friends. And then there's a fourth round with just his fourth friend in chapter 32 through 37. And then God speaks, chapters 38 through 41, and then the closing in chapter 42. Today we find ourselves in round two of the second friend of Job, Zophar, who comes to um, speak to Job. And we see in chapter 20, Job, uh, Zophar's basic uh, accusation against Job. This, and it's stated very clearly in verse 4 and 5. So read that. It says, Do you not know this from of old, since man was placed on earth, that the exalting of the wicked is short, and the joy of the godless but for a moment? So Zophar is going on with his attack, and he's saying this, The joy of the wicked is brief, and then they will suffer. The joy of the wicked is brief, and then they will suffer. Now, I ask myself, you ask, is that, is that biblical? And certainly it is. It, it's attested to in Scripture, throughout Scripture, uh, throughout the Word of God, that those who do not serve God may have a brief joy, but after that they will see and experience reality without God. Even if they experience joy in all of this life, this life is but a moment, and after that, they experience eternity. And eternity without God means eternity in hell. And so it's a brief joy, but after that, they suffer. The problem with Zophar's assessment is, is he assesses Job in that category. And he makes strong statements. Would you notice with me some of the words that are used? Now, this is poetic language, and, and it seems to be sometimes uh, excess. It seems to be uh, 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 making a stronger point than needs to be made. But this is the point that Job's second friend makes. Look at some of the words he uses. In verse 5, he uses the word wicked and godless. In verse 7, he uses the word dung. You will perish forever like your own dung. In other words, it's, it's like manure that you put out on the field that just gets trampled over. No more use. 
He uses another word in verse 8, dream and vision. And that kind of gives this connotation that life is fleeting. It's just for a moment, but it doesn't stay. Verse 15, he uses two words, swallow and vomit. He says, Job, like the wicked, have swallowed up riches, but it won't last long. Like a person who's sick, what they eat, they don't enjoy and can't keep down for long. He uses that to speak of Job. In verse 18, he says, they get no enjoyment. See that in verse 18? He will give back the fruit of his toil. He will not swallow it down. For the profit of his trading, he will get no enjoyment. He makes the assessment in verse 19 that he has crushed and abandoned the poor. Verse 19, he sees the house that he did not build. In other words, he's ripped people off to get rich. That's an assessment that he makes against Job. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with that because we know God's assessment of Job. It doesn't stand with that one. Job's character is set by God to be a a godly man, one that pleases God. So let's look at Job's response. You see, what Zophar is saying is the wicked prosper for a little bit, but then after that we see the reality of them. And he's suggesting that Job has prospered in his life for a time, and now we see God's judgment on Job showing him to be wicked. Let's look at Job's response. I think we can learn a lot from Job's response. As he speaks with his friend, his answer starts really at verse 7 of chapter 21. And he asked this question, why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? He says, observe the world that we live in. The wicked do live. In other words, they don't always die. They live. Not only do they live, they live long lives. And in their long lives, they often can prosper in that. In verses 8 through 11, look at how their their prosperity is mentioned. In verse 8, he says, their offspring are established in their presence. Verse 9, he says, they're safe from fear. No rod of God. Now, the rod of God speaks of God's judgment upon them. And Job is saying, the wicked don't always see God's judgment. You can relate to that. (laughs) If you drive in Milwaukee, you certainly can relate to that. Almost every day I see somebody who just runs a stop sign or runs a red light, and I, I, I secretly just pray, Lord, I wish there was a police officer right behind them. More often than not, It's not. And you know what? If they cause an accident, guess who gets hurt the most? It's probably one of us going on our way to church, and we've had that happen amongst us, get run into by a person who doesn't have insurance, who doesn't care, probably doesn't even own a car they were driving in. The wicked seem to get away. It says they don't have the rod of God. There are moments that we see that, 
And Job is attesting to that. In verse 10, he said, their, their, their bulls breed without fail. They're cow calves. Now, in our day and age, that we say, man, you know, their grass grows green. <laughs> they prosper. Their investments do well. They don't get laid off from the job like we do sometimes. They don't pay as many taxes as we, even though they cheat on their taxes. Job is attesting to reality in the world that we live in. He says their children dance, verse 11. They have a happy life. They sing and rejoice, verse 12. Look at the words in verse 13, prosperity and peace. in spite of their rejection of God. Look at verse 14 and 15. They say to God, depart from us. Even though they openly rebel against God and even make it public, it says they're seen, they seem to prosper. They enjoy life. Verse 17 and 18, they are not judged immediately. Sometimes, not even in our whole lifetime, do we see them judged. Look at verse 17. How often, Job asks this question, how often is that the lamp of the wicked is put out? Not always. We don't always see justice and equity and Righteousness prevail in the world that we live in, the same world that Job lived in. And he's pointing this out to his friends. You lived, your, your perception is a confused perception. And he even says, their children do not bear their sin. I like what Job brings up in verse 19. He says this, you say God stores up their iniquity for their children. Now, some would argue that the Word of God says that, but we need to look at, at the wisdom literature. The wisdom literature, like, like Psalms, and often gives us some general principles. And certainly it's a general principle that those who choose to live in opposition to God will not end well. And those who serve Him will end well. Psalms 1 kind of expresses that. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. He's blessed. It says later, he will be like a tree that, that, that is planted by the, the rivers of water. And it speaks of the righteous as like shaft that the wind blows away. And that's a general principle, isn't it? And it's a true principle, but we understand that it's a general principle and it doesn't account for a lot of inconsistencies that we see in life. In reality, when you take a moment and a picture in time, you will see that the righteous don't, excuse me, that the unrighteous don't always seem like shaft. They seem like the tree planted by the rivers of water. And so it takes faith to live a godly life because we don't always see the fruit of it. In fact, 
what we see is what God has done in his sovereignty. In his sovereignty, God allows some wicked to prosper and some righteous to suffer. And Job is pointing this out starting at verse 22 through 34. Will any teach God knowledge, seeing that he judges those who are on high? Look what he says. One dies in his full vigor, being wholly at ease and secure, his pails full of milk and his marrow of his bones moist. Another dies in bitterness of soul, never having tasted of prosperity. In God's sovereignty, he's allowed that there will be some riches, some wicked who prosper, and there will be some righteous who suffer. And Job puts them both together. Notice what he says in the next verse, in verse 26. They lie down alike in the dust, and worms cover them. In other words, they live lives. Some suffer and, and, and some prosper, but together they both experience death. And it's like, if that's all you read and that's all you see, you're getting an incomplete message or idea of what the reality is. Job is warning his friends, as God will warn us today, is you don't see it all. Some have said it this way, don't judge a book by its cover. We say, look, read the end of the story. And that's what his friends are making an assessment without reading the end of the story. If I look at our, our life today, I would say, you know what? It didn't do me much good to work hard and go to school and get a degree when I see folks who didn't do that, who can make more money than me cheating, robbing, stealing, doing illicit types of businesses and get away with it. We need to get the complete story. And Job is helping his friends get the complete story. Do you know of any wicked who prosper? If you're alive today, you probably do. Do you know of any righteous who suffer? Yes, you do. Think of cancer. <laughs> I look out today and I see at least <laughs> three individuals that I know who have cancer. I look on others who are suffering because of loved ones who have cancer. COVID-19 doesn't just affect those who don't know God. In fact, it affects us all. There's some biblical examples I'd like you to look at. One is in Luke chapter 13, and it's called, I call it the Tower of Siloam. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. Let's just read that. It says, There were some present in that very day who told him, that is Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? 
No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you not think that they were, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus is saying, don't make the mistake of thinking that when things happen to a person, they got their just judgment because they secretly had done something. And God has finally brought his judgment down on them. Jesus says if that's the case, there's a lot of people who are getting away free. And that's not going to happen. So be careful how you assess the things of this world. That same comment that should be made to Job's friends. They had made a miscalculation and a terrible, terribly wrong assessment. And Psalm 73 is another example I'd like you to turn to. Read a few verses here. Psalm 73, truly God is good to Israel, those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The psalmist says, I was doing okay until something dawned on me. Until I looked out into the world that I lived in and I saw the wicked prospering. See, that throws us off when we see that. Another thing that throws us off is when we see the righteous suffer. So many people have said they don't believe in God because they see so much suffering in the world. Why will God allow that? You see, you don't understand something about God, and, and that's a terrible miscalculation, but it's the same miscalculation that Job's friends had made. Because they don't understand God's sovereignty and his work, they go around in life with mistaken ideas and beliefs. Because they don't see God's judgment when they'd like to see it, they think that God will not judge does not judge, and some have taken it even to the degree that God doesn't exist. How terribly wrong they are in that assessment. The psalmist says, it started to bother me. Verse 4, they have no pains until death, and their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness, and their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten opposition. He said, you know, they, they grow bold in their wickedness because God doesn't clamp down on them right away. And so it is true 
We, we would wish sometimes that when, when evil, when we see evil, when we see a wicked uh, uh, happening, that God will crush it down. Like I said, when, I, when I'm driving and I see somebody run the red light, I wish there was instant justice and judgment on them because that would stop that from going on. But God allows that to happen, and it bothers us. And we struggle with why he does that. The psalmist goes on to say, this bothered me so much that it, it almost, it nearly drove me crazy. He says, I almost went insane until what? Until I came into the house of God and then I began to see the reality of things. Look at his assessment. Verse 12, behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. Then he says, what has happened to him? All, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I would speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. He says there's things that we will not understand unless we take a view from God's word. In fact, we will, be, we will go insane. I, I call it functional insanity. Many people are operating today with a wrong view of the world. They're discouraged, they're dismayed, they're troubled because of the things that they see and they say, how can these things continue and God do nothing? And so they have made assessments in their life based on that and they are living off those assessments and they are functioning in their everyday life, but they are functioning out of insanity. They do not see what God has said. You're only going to get that from God's revelation. He says, when I began to look at what God says, then I begin to understand how this thing makes more sense or what God is doing. The reality of it is that we don't see everything in this life. And God's judgment isn't complete in this life. And so it's a wrong assessment for Job's friends to say, look, evil has happened to you, therefore you're evil. And God has brought his judgment on you. They didn't realize what Job said. There are wicked people that prosper, and there are righteous people that suffer, and God allows it to be so. Now, if you want to argue that point with God, you can argue to no avail. He's sovereign, and he's done what he's chose to do. But well, we can't see why he's done some of those things. One is to reveal the genuine. You see, if, if we lived in life today and all you to, 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 to prosper, as some falsely preach, if you just serve God, you prosper. If that was the case, it would be no challenge to serve God. People will come to church just because 
Their bank accounts will look good. Their investments will go well. Their, the grass on their lawn will grow green. They will, they will have no more diseases to speak of. Everything will go well with them. In fact, some try to serve for that reason. And again, they don't understand the work and the plan of God. God has turned some of those things around. The other thing it, it explains is that the effects of sin has turned our world upside down. That's one of the reasons why the wicked seem to prosper and, in fact, do prosper for a time. And the righteous suffer because of the effects of sin. And the third thing we can see from this is that God has brought about his plan of salvation in this. Is Jesus the righteous one? The only righteous one who has suffered the ultimate cost and price to pay for my sin, to pay for the sin of the wicked, the sinful. The righteous indeed has suffered for sin. And he suffered because of my sin. And he suffered for me in place of me. But God has used this very thing to bring about my salvation. We should find comfort from God's Word because it tells us what the world really is like. Thank God for those passages of Scripture that help us understand. There's beautiful poetry in Job and Psalms and other biblical wisdom books. It gives us wisdom, and it gives us a means also for proper expression of our anguish as we wrestle with this difficulty. What difficulty? That we live in a world where the righteous suffer and the wicked often prosper. But the Word of God tells us that that's so, and that's the way things are for now. And it tells us that God is going to redeem this world and bring things back to the place where they should be. You know, you and I, we, we, we groan against the, the evil things that we see in this world. We impacted by those types of things, and, and it strains us, and we wrestle against that. What it is, we long for God's kingdom of righteousness to prevail, and we have no rest until we see it because we don't see it here. But that reminds us of God's good work through his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. God took the wickedness of man. He caused wicked men to attack and kill Jesus Christ and crucify him on the cross, the most righteous one who lived. God used that very plan. He placed our sin, the sin of those who would trust in him. He places it on Jesus, the righteous one, so that our sins are paid for. And so this topsy-turvy, upside-down, mixed-up world that we see right now will not always 
be the case. You should glean wisdom from God's Word and recognize the world that we function in. It should cause you to cry out to God for His grace during this time to persevere so that you don't abandon <laughs> your right thinking and right thought. I remember as a schoolboy being, being taught, you know, if you do good, good things will happen to you. That's only partially true. <laughs> you also need to be taught that when you do well, you fight against evil and you suffer sometimes. But God is able and God will give you the strength to persevere. So right now we're looking at just a snapshot of, of Job's life and we're seeing his friends that don't understand God's ways and therefore they don't understand Job's life and they ridicule and they oppress Job with their nonsense. You notice how Job ends? Did you see that, how he ends chapter 21? <laughs> He's like, get away from me. <laughs> Verse 34, how then will you comfort me with empty nothings? There's nothing. Nothing left of your answers but falsehood. He says, you've misapplied the truth of God's word. You've taken general uh, principles that the wicked suffer, and you've applied it in wrong ways, and therefore you are a means of discouragement and discomfort to me. But God gives Job the strength. It seems like Job is all by himself. Not one of his friends support him. And those are his friends. And yet, God is sustaining him. At the end, he will vindicate Job. Not because of Job, but because of his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, in essence, to us, though you can't stand a chance in court, if you were to stand be before me that you are perfect or sinless, you can't, you don't stand a chance. Let it be known that I've placed someone in your place who is absolutely righteous to represent you. And so when you stand, when he stands in court, there's no condemnation that can be placed on you because he's already judged it all. Father, we thank you. Uh, for your truth. We thank you for your word that sharpens our understanding of what's going on in this world. Things that often will cause us to be troubled, to be dismayed, to be discouraged, sometimes to give up hope. Things that cause us to fall under the accused, the accusation of others. And we experience this in ways sometimes like Job. We thank you for the testimony of Job. And we thank you for the testimony of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who experienced this to the fullest, and yet on the cross he paid for our sin. And we thank you for that. The righteous one paying for the sins of sinners. We thank you for that, Lord. We pray now, Lord, that you would speak to the hearts of those who hear your word today, that you would encourage them to trust in Christ, to continue living faithfully to you, 
to bring you glory. Even though the impact of this world causes them to suffer. The impact of sin in this world causes them to suffer. That they might trust in you. We pray, Lord, today that you bring people to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. To walk with him. And to live for him. And those who are walking in Christ and living for him, that they will persevere, continue, and be encouraged by your servant Job and most of all by your servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. If we pray in Jesus' name, amen.